Well, this is week six of our series, Chosen. And I don't know about you guys, but anytime we get to open the pages of scripture, I just get excited. Uh, that's why I say amen all the time. Someone said, I like your preaching. You always say amen. And uh, that's not as filler, uh, but amen is a strategic word, I believe, in our faith. It actually means let it be. Before the Beatles tried to hijack it, it was God's concept. <laughs> let it be. Let the truth found in God's word be the truth found in my life. So if you wanna say amen, go ahead and do it because it is funner to cook for hungry people, amen? And uh, I am just thrilled to end this series, uh, Chosen. And today's topic and what you're gonna be discussing this week in your groups is this idea of you and I are chosen to be different. That you are set apart for a unique purpose and for whatever reason, God has designed you, created you in a very specific way all to accomplish a very specific purpose. And so my challenge to you on the front end is stop trying to fit in when you are made to stand out. You should understand that when it comes to living out our purpose, you and I in the kingdom of God, well, we're playing chess, not checkers. Not every piece does the same thing. And church, here's the deal as we jump into this. What makes us different is what makes the difference. It takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. And it is embracing your uniqueness. I think the original sin that you read about in the book of Genesis is an unoriginal sin. What I mean by that is Adam and Eve followed the temptation and what was their temptation? They didn't wanna be who God created them to be. They wanted to be something else. The original sin was an unoriginal sin. And my challenge to you on the front end of this is don't deny your uniqueness. Don't overlook the fact that God made you just as you are for a very specific reason and the plans that he has in front of you. Just lean in to the reality that you are chosen, that you've been created on purpose and for a purpose. So let's be different. And it has me thinking about this whole conversation that really over the last decade, our culture has been pretty in tune to. And it is this conversation of emotional intelligence. For the longest time, the education system placed a high value on an individual's IQ, right? Your cognitive intelligence. But now they say that your EQ or your, your social intelligence is actually far more valuable than your IQ. Are you tracking with me? So some of you, you can't read a book, but you can read a room, right? I mean, that's the house I grew up in. I couldn't tutor your kid in math, but I can help you execute a Craigslist deal, right? It's book smarts versus street smarts. And it's recognizing that, hey, there is an emotional and a mental capacity that I've been given and it's learning to steward those things. And, and those things play a pretty significant part in you really embracing truly who you are in the life that God has created you to live. If you're new to the idea, emotional intelligence is simply this, the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. So it's this idea of you and I live as just this conglomerate of all these thoughts, feelings, emotions, and behaviors, habits, and it's learning to steward all the things that make us us. 
And what I love about this idea is the number one pillar to emotional intelligence is self-awareness. They say the most important thing, if you're gonna live with a high EQ and you're gonna live an effective and efficient life, well, it's living with some self-awareness. And I wonder how many of you know someone who lacks self-awareness? And chances are, if you don't know someone who lacks self-awareness, well, you might be the person <laughs> lacking self-awareness. And I think anytime you, you talk about the idea of self-awareness, everyone thinks that the, the, the conversation is going to be hypercritical and moving forward, all we're gonna talk about is evaluating ourselves in ways that foster our insecurity and create more feelings of inadequacy. And, and that's actually the wrong approach to developing a true and healthy self-awareness. There's a big difference between being self-aware and self-absorbed. Self-absorbed is only being concerned with your interest and your issues. But self-aware is being aware of your character and how it is shaped by your thoughts and your feelings. And I think if we're gonna choose to be different, well, we're gonna have to live aware of who we are and how God created us, amen? If there's anyone in scripture who, I just think they got this right, it was King David. David was just an awesome guy. And in Psalms 139, he just is going off the handle in his praise for God. He's like, no matter where I go, you're with me. When I wake up, you're there. When I go to bed at night, you're there. In the moments of despair, you are with me. And at the mountaintops, God, you're with me. You are so good and you're so faithful. And I wonder how many of you have discovered the same thing. Yeah, yeah, God was with you in those moments of triumph. And yeah, God bestowed his favor upon your life. And yeah, God escorted you to the top of mountains. But he also held your hand in the deepest of valleys. That even when you were down to nothing, you discovered your God was up to something. He's good and he's faithful. And then he switches gears and he says this, for you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. And check this out. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. I mean, he's just saying, God, I recognize that from day one, you have been involved in my life. Even when I wasn't aware of you, you were very dialed in to me. What I love about this is David would write these around 970 BC is when most people think David passed away. The ultrasound was not created until 1956. And what I love about it is 3,000 years before technology would advance to a place in which we could say, yep, that's a human. God already instilled within his word, that's a life. And aren't you just amazed by how God can reveal things through his promptings in your life? I love, I love this. That what you find is 
The Bible is not a book on science, but somehow it carries a great deal of credibility in the conversation of science. Because people keep bumping into, wait a second, how did this shepherd boy in the middle of a field, how was he so accurate when it came to the sanctity of life? That's amazing. And then switching gears without a clutch, which have you ever been in a car when someone does that? It's like you're smooth sailing and then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard transition. David goes from praising God and God, I love you and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and you knit me together in my, my mother's womb. And then verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent and your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. But then he goes on to say, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive, uh, any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I just, I love that. I love this idea of David being able to go to God not just with his praise, but also with his problems. Anyone love that you can go to God just real and authentic? I love that. I love that it's not just that we can go to God with big matters because nothing's too big for him, but we can also go to God with small, petty matters because even the small stuff he pays attention to. And I love this because David is so raw. He's so vulnerable. He's so transparent. I read it and I find myself thinking, my goodness, I'm so glad God chose his diary for the Bible and not mine. Anyone else thankful that God didn't put your little, you know, journal notes in his library of 66 books known as the Bible? But what I love about scripture is it is God's resume that God makes real promises to real people with real problems. I love that about our God and what you find is David, well, he starts with this adoration for God. And it is in that posture that he then transitions into this awareness of, God, I'm fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Here's the point if you're taking notes. A reverence for God produces a respect for yourself. Now, I think sometimes we are going through life and we, we're taking on insecurity. We're going through life and we're, we're taking on feelings of inadequacy. And we have pretty significant battles with self-worth. In fact, I was talking to a couple people this past week. Both of them lead groups here at Northview. And I said, hey, how are the conversations going? And both of them said different groups. They said the number one thing that our groups are struggling with is this idea of chosen is really exposing the self-worth issues that many of us are battling. It's hard to accept that an almighty, all-knowing, all-holy God would love and choose me. That's hard to accept, right? Nonetheless, it's true. It's like when someone sees a spider in their kitchen, they freak out, and then they have that friend who's like, you should know it's more afraid of you than you are of it. Anyone ever had someone say that to you? And you're thinking, I don't believe you, because right now I'm terrified of what I'm seeing, right? 
And I'm not willing to test your theory. And my thing is, is I think some of you, well, you may still struggle or find it challenging to accept, hey, God loves you. God is for you. And the creator of the heavens of the earth, well, he chose you. And I actually pray you put that theory to the test. I pray you lean into your faith to discover who this God is and his plans for your life. But one thing I love about this conversation about self-awareness I think we get wrong is one, self-awareness isn't just knowing your brokenness. Self-awareness is also knowing your awesomeness. Which if you haven't had anyone tell you in a while, you are awesome. I mean, look at the person next to you and say, I'm awesome. Come on, those of you in Kokomo right now, look at your neighbor and say it with some confidence. I am awesome, yeah. And sometimes that's just really awkward to say. It's hard to admit. It almost reveals how self-deprecating we can be. To acknowledge our awesomeness feels a little uncomfortable. But church, here's my question for you, and that's this. What is the best thing about you? David starts out and he's, he's marveling. He's looking in the mirror and he's like, God, you are good, right? I mean, when was the last time you stood in the mirror and you just thought to yourself, God, I know I'm still a work in progress. Anyone else, you're a fixer-upper? I'm a work in progress. But God, I'm thankful for the things you got right in me. And though I am still in process, this is awesome. I mean, what is the best thing about you. Because here's the deal. If you can't recognize your awesomeness, you lack self-awareness. If you can't recognize what's great about you, if you can't see how God made you different and embrace it, if you can't live with a healthy confidence, well, you lack self-awareness. I mean, it's interesting, right? It's interesting to think of this idea of being great and that being permissible. But you should know that God created you to achieve great things. And, and God doesn't want any of us walking around insecure, self-doubting, and dealing with dilemmas of self-worth. No, God wants us to embrace our awesomeness. I love this. I love what David says. He says, God, you're great, and your works are marvelous. Your works, plural. They are marvelous, and I know that full well. My question for you is, have you ever stared at God's creation and marveled at just his creativity, the magnificence of our God? Like, I just love animal facts. I feel like they just blow my mind. Every time I bump into an animal fact, I'm like, again, God's awesome. Like, for example, the giraffe. The giraffe's heart, is 12 times stronger than the human heart. The purpose of that is also it can pump blood up the long neck of the giraffe to get to the brain. But people have looked at a giraffe while it's eating and they've wondered, wait a second, when the giraffe bends over to eat grass off the ground, that much blood rushing to the brain with that type of force from that powerful of a heart, how does it not kill the giraffe? That would immediately kill a human that much blood rushing to the brain. So people with some spare time on their hands started to study the draft. And you know what they found? Someone put a sponge on the back of the draft's brain. 
So the giraffe bends over to eat and the sponge just absorbs all the blood and then it triggers a response. You should stand up, otherwise you're gonna pass out. And the giraffe stands right back up. And I'm like, that's God. Only God could do something like that. None of that happened by chance. God is amazing. I was watching another one about penguins. And this one was amazing to me. The, the mother penguin lays the egg and then she goes out to sea to hunt and gather food while the father egg sits on the, uh, the father sits on the egg. It's amazing. What tripped me up about this is they said, well, the mom's out at sea gathering food. The egg will hatch anywhere from 34 to 75 days. That's a pretty big gap. And then there's this guy on this National Geographic episode, and he says, what we can't explain and what we can't figure out is somehow the mother penguin always shows up the day the egg hatches. And then he makes this statement, guy who's obsessed with penguins. He says, it's as if there's an internal radar that goes off in the mother penguin that says it's time to come home. And she returns home right on time. And I'm like, well, that's the gospel. Because every single week I get to stand in front of people and see an internal alarm go off in others where they realize it's time to come home and they give their lives to Christ. It's, it's amazing what you see in creation. My favorite animal is the rhino. And a rhino can run up to 55 kilometers an hour. That's about 35 to 37 miles per hour. That is faster than the, the fastest human, Usain Bolt. And what's awesome about the rhino is they say a rhino's eyesight is a tenth of the average human eyesight. So a, a rhino cannot see beyond 90 feet. Now, if you remember your driver's ed class, they say you should always begin slowing down for a stop sign 150 feet in advance. But a rhino can get up to 55 kilometers an hour without the ability to stop on time. But they say there's something in the rhino that just knows I'm strong enough to run through whatever comes my way. And I think to myself, now that's faith. I don't know what's coming my way and I don't know what's gonna stand before me, but greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. Bring it on, right? God's creation is amazing. But here's the thing. You take the draft and you take the penguins and the rhinos and you throw the sunset in there and the sunrise. You put some mountains in there and the ocean, all of God's amazing creation. Here's the reality. You're the masterpiece. You are the centerpiece of God's creation. And that's not me just trying to make you feel good. That's me trying to relay what God has declared over your life. In fact, Ephesians says it this way. For we are God's masterpiece. Again, church, you are awesome. And if you can't recognize your awesomeness, you lack self-awareness. We are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are his masterpiece. So again, how did God design you? What are the best things about you? What are the things that you think, man, God, that's pretty impressive. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I think most people understand what it means to be wonderfully made, but what's this idea of fearfully made? 
And basically, if you look up the word in Hebrew, it is, you know, this idea of being leaned into with the heart is what it says. That you have been leaned into with the heart, that's how you've been made. That God poured his heart into your design. Tragically, what God poured his heart into, you and I take the hammer to. I mean, it's amazing how we can just be so hard on ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? I grew up with an older brother and uh, he's now six, seven. And there was a, a point in our upbringing where I was about five, one, and he was about six, four. So he always put a whooping on me. And growing up in our household, my brother would always do this thing. And the period of time at which he did it lasted longer than I like to admit, but he would pin me down. And maybe you grew up in this house and he would take my hands, he'd smack me across the face and he'd ask the annoying question, why are you hitting yourself, right? You wanna grow up with that sibling? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And my question for some of you is why are you hitting yourself? Why do you insist on taking on such unhealthy and unproductive habits and thought patterns that erodes your confidence and foster insecurity. Church, you should know that when you insult the product or you critique the product, you insult the manufacturer. When you critique the product, you insult the manufacturer. And what makes you great is your great maker. And our God doesn't make junk. You are awesome. Someone say that with me. Say, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Now, here's the deal. The moment you start talking about your awesomeness, it'll come with some awkwardness, right? But it's recognizing, hey, I'm not, I don't have to be great at everything to be great at some things. For example, I'm not good at organizing things, but I'm creative. I'm not the smartest, but I'm optimistic. I'm not very patient, but I'm passionate. I'm not a good counselor, but I'm a good leader. I'm not very gifted, but I'm very disciplined, right? Like, what are the things about you? I'm not a businessman. I'm not a politician. I'm not an entertainer. I am a pastor. I'm the husband of Kristen, and I am the dad of Riley Cannon, Miles, and Presley, and I think that's pretty stinking awesome. But again, take it from someone who just did it. You start talking about your awesomeness, and it'll come with some awkwardness. Because one... We're not used to affirming ourselves. And two, the critical people in your life, they won't know what to do with you. Because a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing between confidence and arrogance. And if you're gonna live the purpose God has before you, you're gonna have to develop some confidence. Here's the difference if you're looking for it. Confidence is knowing you're great. Arrogance is forgetting who made you great. Confidence is knowing you're great. Arrogance is forgetting that you have the thumbprint of heaven on your life. And all those skills, dreams, passions, well, that was orchestrated by the, the architect of heaven, right? That what makes you great is your great maker. And so it's recognizing you and I have to be aware of our ego and how we steward the space between the ears. I think ego best stands for edging God out. You ever found that that's what we do sometimes in our thinking? But that's not an accurate confidence. 
an accurate confidence in saying I may not be a lot of things, but I am some things. And I can hang my hat on who, how God made me and what God has created me to do. So if you're still having a hard time answering that question, what's the best thing about you? My other question for you would be, what is your pattern of success? I mean, when you look at life, where do you find yourself to be effective? Where do you find yourself to be fulfilled? It reminds me of the time when David approaches the battlefield and Goliath is out there heckling the boys. And David's like, hey, I'll take them on. And what does David do? He runs down his resume. He said, hey, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear. I'll take this guy out. He understood his pattern of success. And my question for you is what is your pattern of success? Because again, if you can't recognize your awesomeness, you lack self-awareness. And here's what I love about David. David starts out and he's, he's reflecting on all the things that God has done in his life and he's giving God praise, but then he shifts. And he has the humility to say, God, would you help me in the areas that maybe I'm coming up short? Would you search my heart and would you make me aware of the things in my life that you still wanna be redemptive and you still wanna be productive in those areas? Here's what I think David got right. He started out establishing his awesomeness before he started talking about his brokenness. Because here's what David tells us, and that is confidently embracing your awesomeness is the key to courageously facing or addressing your brokenness. Confidently embracing your awesomeness is the key to courageously facing your brokenness. And so he turns to God and what I love is David was able to reflect on the good in him by himself, but he needed God's help to address some of the broken areas. In church, we all have broken areas. Every single one of us has struggles. And so it's just recognizing, hey, God can help me in this area. It's recognizing the difference between nature and nurture, right? The difference between nature and nurture is how has God made me and what has sin done to me? And it's just learning to distinguish the two. It's learning to develop a level of wisdom that says, this is how God made me and this is what sin is trying to do to me, right? So God gave you smarts, but sin wants you to become a cynic. Right, God gave you a sense of humor. Sin is trying to get you to become demeaning. God blessed you with wealth. It is sin that's making you greedy. You could go on and on and on. God gave you leadership. Sin wants you to be manipulative. God gave you initiative. Sin wants you to be a bully. Nature versus nurture. And church, here's the thing that you and I have to understand, and that is this. There's a big difference between acknowledging your garbage and acknowledging your garbage. Sounds like a riddle, right? We all have garbage. We only get in trouble when we fail to take it out. Which anyone, you just struggle with that sometimes? I think in our household, at least once a quarter, I forget to bring the bins to the curb. And so the whole next week, our garage has a mound of garbage because I forgot to take my garbage out. Every single one of us has garbage. Where we mess up, is when we forget to take it out. And it's learning, hey, we all have garbage, 
but I don't identify with my garbage, amen? And here's the deal, church. You and I have a lot to work on, but we have a lot to build on. You and I have a lot to work on, but we have a lot to build on. And so it's just saying, God, I'm embracing how you made me, right? I'm embracing how you made me all so that I can accomplish the specific purpose that you have planned out for me. God, would you do the unthinkable in my life? And would you raise my confidence to, to meet your assignment that you've placed before me? And so when it comes to building this confidence, I do think there are four levels of love that help us understand this in our faith journey. Before we're Christians, we love our, there's the love of self for self's sake, right? You can see this all throughout culture. The, the self-centeredness and, and just the focus and concern on self. We, we love ourself for self's sake. And then we bump into this idea of God. And we kind of take a step up the ladder where we love God for self's sake. Because let's be honest, when we first give our life to Christ, there is some selfish motive there. I'm gonna embrace this relationship because there's grace on the other side of it. I'm gonna embrace this relationship because I wanna discover my purpose. I'm gonna embrace this relationship because he promised me peace. I'm gonna love God, but if I'm honest, it's, it's kind of for self's sake. But then you grow in stature, you, you grow in maturity. As you grow in this relationship with God, you go to another level, which is the love of God for God's sake. You start to realize, God, all the things you do for me, it cannot compare to you yourself. You are the prize of it all. I mean, in the end, you are the reward. And I just love you for who you are. That's a precious place to be. And I find that most Christians are within these two categories, the love of God for self's sake and the love of God for God's sake. But there is another category. And you get to a point where it's the love of self for God's sake. Where you just arrive at a place where, I mean, the best way to love God is to steward and embrace who he made you to be. Before you realize it's like, God, I'm gonna stop beating up on your creation. And I'm gonna stop buying into all these lies that just erode my thinking. And I'm gonna stop fostering all these emotions that continue to create turmoil in my heart and feelings of self-worth and inadequacy and insecurity. God, I'm, I'm moving on from those things. I'm gonna embrace who you made me to be because I'm awesome. And church, you are awesome. Whether you're aware of it or not, the thumbprint of heaven is all over your life. And so my challenge for some of you is for you to move from insecure to I'm secure. To move from insecure to I'm secure. I have been chosen by God. He loves me. He's with me. He's for me. He's done the unthinkable on behalf of me. Yay, God. Amen. Amen. That's what I love about this, this initiative with World Vision. You know, last week... You know, Steve was talking about, Steve Spear, about this important responsibility that you and I have to enforce the inherent dignity on the, these children and to just celebrate and to acknowledge that. And so us participating in this is, is letting them know, hey, we love you, we see you, and we value you.
What's amazing is because of how we flipped it, in some ways, these kids get to reinforce the inherent dignity in us. In fact, we got to see pictures of the kids who selected us. And um, this is the, the little boy who uh, selected Pastor Stephen Sandy. And uh, just his name is Balutki. It's a pretty awesome name. I got stuck with Christopher. He gets Balutki. And, uh, and then this is the young lady who selected our family, Uyemi. And uh, I just am amazed uh, by how God can connect people from all different parts of the world. And I pray that the one thing that echoes through this series and echoes through this partnership is every single one of us has been chosen and designed by God. So church, choose to be different. Amen. Can I pray with you? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. And God, we thank you for your work in our life. And God, as awkward as it may seem for some of us, thank you for creating us just as we are. God, give us the ability to distinguish nature from nurture, how you made us and how this fallen world is trying to shape us. And God, would you just raise the level of confidence within our hearts and our minds that continues to position us for more of your work in and through our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the things that we love doing here at Northview is introducing people to Jesus, and we would love to do that tonight. And so if you are here with heads bowed and eyes closed and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we'd love to pray with you. And on the count of three, would you just slip your hand up if that is you? One, two, three. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Awesome, sir. I see you in the back. Anyone else? I know at all of our campuses, we're participating together. And if you're at one of our campuses and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'd ask for you just to slip your hand up so campus pastors can see you and pray with you. Outstanding. All together, would you pray this with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for my sins. Today, I give you my life and I ask for your forgiveness. I'm choosing to live for you from this day on. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my God and my King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.